Let's pray. Father, what incredible words of truth. You chose us. You predestined us. You called us your own. And Lord, we are in Christ. Father, we have so much to be grateful for, so much to say thank you for, so much to celebrate. That a God who is so wondrous and so majestic and powerful and so not like us, loved us with an incredible everlasting love and did everything in your power to embrace us and call us your own. To the praise of his glorious grace. Lord, we thank you for that grace that was poured out on us. Not just a dribble, but lavishly. You blessed us. You enriched our lives in ways that we cannot even express in words. Our spirits just say, thank you, Abba Father. You're too marvellous for words and you're beyond human description. We want to praise you today, Lord God. We want to praise you to the glory of your grace. We want to bless you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all the benefits that God has given to us. Father, we want to thank you today that we have so much to give back to you. And all that you want is our gratitude, our praise, our adoration. And Lord, we exalt you today. We magnify who you are. And Lord, we just stand in awe of a God that would do so much to redeem and rescue, enrich and bless us. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that song came straight out of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, beautiful song. I'm going to sing it again in a minute. But today we're going to start looking at Ephesians 1. We might not get very far into it because it's just an incredible book and we'll touch on that in a minute. If you've got your Bibles there, you can open them up or you can read on the screen, that's fine. You know when you go to the shop and like you go to Bunnings and you buy a um, you know, can of bug spray or you know, some poison or something like that, it's got a big warning across it, you know, caution, this is poison or highly flammable or something like that. I think the book of Ephesians should come with a warning because properly understood, this book will turn your whole life around. It will. It, it's just... It has layers and layers of depth to it. And as you unravel that and, in, and grasp a hold of what Paul was trying to get us to grab hold of, there's enlightenment and there's revelation and there's, there's a depth of spirituality that we will go to if we can grab hold of this book. It's an incredible letter that Paul wrote. And he started like this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the ones he loves. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will in accordance with his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Really, this book is about appropriating God's kingdom economy. It's about entering into all that God wants us to have. And it's not just a theological treatise. It's not just believing in, in deep things about God. It's actually working that out in practice and living it out in practice so that the riches of the heavenly realm that God is talking about become ours in a present-day reality. And though we live on earth and we transact and walk in earth, we actually draw from the heavenly realms. That's where we live. That's where we're seated. And we draw from God's power and authority and riches, but we live that out on earth. And what we end up realizing as we read through this book is there is just immeasurably more in every facet of our life. It's just more and more and more and more. God just wants to keep pouring out his blessing, keep pouring out his power, keep revealing his plan, keep taking us into deeper, deeper places in him. And it never ends. And when we contemplate who God is, we just realize how much he's given us. There's no depth to, to that. It's in, unfathomable. How much grace has he given us? Just endless amounts of mercy and grace he has blessed us in. He's just an incredible God. He can do immeasurably more than we could ever dream or imagine. And he wants us to live with a mindset like that. Not a stingy Christian mindset, but a, a lavishing mindset of extravagant love. Love that was given to us and love that we in turn give away. And it's a love of power, not having power, but giving God's power away. It's an incredible book. The overall theme of the book is really just the, the, the purpose of God from day one to the very end. But there's two themes that are intertwined right through this book. It's the plan of God for, for humanity and for our personal lives. But it's not just that God has a plan. It's also that he's got the power to make that plan come to pass. You know, sometimes we have great dreams and ambitions and we never get there. But God's saying, here's my plan. This is why I did what I did. And not only do I have a master plan, but I've also got the power to make that plan happen in our individual lives and right through humanity to the praise of his glorious grace, that he revealed his mystery to us, that he grafted us into his family, that he adopted us and chose us and blessed us. Immeasurably more. And when we look through this book, it, it really divides into two very simple parts. The first three chapters and then the last three chapters. And the first three chapters are about belief and experiencing Christ 
and about worship and witness. It's what we were saved by. How did God save us? And we're left with this just adoration. When we contemplate and meditate and examine what God did, there's no other response. If we're not awestruck by what Jesus did, how much of an extent he went to to bless us. The only right response before God is to say, like Thomas did, my Lord and my God. There's nothing else to say but to praise him. And as we move into the second half of the book, it becomes more about not just what we believe, but but how that belief works out in our life, how we behave and how we live as an example to others, how we walk out our belief system. And it becomes about spiritual warfare, fighting for the Christian faith, expanding the kingdom of God, taking up the sword of the spirit, taking up the, the the weapons and the warfare of God and not being a wimpy little Christian that comes on Sunday morning and sits in a pew and goes home. Don't bother coming if that's your attitude. Because this book says you've got to fight. You've got to fight because God's given you a mandate to be a warrior. To fight on behalf of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to drive back the forces of darkness and to make a difference in people's lives to demonstrate that all this belief system is not just cognitive. It's spiritual and it works out in our life in day by day. We were saved for a purpose, to live out a life that is radically different to the world that we live in. We're seated in the heavenly realms, but we live in a material temporal world. And when we can cut the ties with our material world and draw from the heavenly realms, we'll live in the fullness that God wants us to live in. So the second half of the book is about application. How do we live out this faith that we talk about? When you read Paul's letter, it's like a literary pearl. Like it's just the the language that he uses and the syntax and the grammar. It's just like he's so full of it that he doesn't quite know how to express it and it just comes out like a torrent. Because from verse 3 to verse 14 in the Greek, it's all one sentence and he just goes, God did this and he did this and he did this and he did this and he did this and it's like he can't contain it and it doesn't matter whether he wrote it in Greek or Arabic or English, he just can't spit it out because it's too wonderful and and it just tumbles out all these blessings that God gave us. But then we have to realise where Paul was when he wrote this letter. He was in prison, chained to a guard, with no earthly blessings whatsoever, and yet he's telling us that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amazing contrast. And I think it's sometimes when we're in adversity, when there's hardship in our life, that's when the greatest wisdom comes. That's when we really draw near to God and press in to his plan and his purpose for us. And Paul's really saying, and he says it in chapter 4 when he begins, as a prisoner of the Lord, therefore I urge you. I mean, he's saying, I'm suffering for the gospel, but it's so worthy to suffer for. What an incredible book. It's like a pearl. You know, an oyster produces a pearl, but it's because the flesh of the oyster gets irritated by a speck or a grain of dirt, that the flesh reacts and it excretes a chemical and that chemical grabs hold of that little piece of dirt 
and creates a hard barrier around it. And over time, it expands and expands and the, and the flesh inside polishes it so you get a pearl. But it started with irritation. And sometimes it's the irritation in our life that God wants to hone and grow us and mature us into something precious like a pearl. You know, Paul says at the start of this letter, an apostle by the will of God, as he's writing. He's really saying, please take note, I didn't write this. I was commanded by God, arrested by God. This book is not human words. It's from the throne room of God. Paul's saying this book has authority and sovereignty. And he says to the saints in Ephesus, if you were in the Roman Catholic Church today, you wouldn't be considered a saint because they're a, an elite group of people. But the privilege of God is that we're all considered saints. You know, we don't barrack for St Kilda, but we're saints. You know what I mean? That's a privilege that every one of us have, not just to select through, not Mary MacKillop. Equally in God's eyes, we're saints, blessed by the hand of God, enriched in an incredible way. And he writes this 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 chapter and this on one condition he says to the faithful ones in Ephesus the ones who are standing true and firm and he just goes into a normal salutation he says grace and peace be to you the Greek greeting would be grace may the power of God be upon you and the the Hebrew welcome would be peace shalom upon you and so he's sort of bridging both gaps here and saying to all of you that read this, grace and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we move into this, this chapter, we get this incredible sense of being blessed because we are in Christ. That little phrase, in, appears 15 times in those first 15 verses. In Christ, in him. And if you're outside of Christ, none of this makes any sense or it's not attractive. It's in no way appealing. It doesn't excite you because it's a spiritual thing. But when we are in Christ, things begin to happen. God's power begins to flow. We begin to understand the mysteries of what God has for our lives. And we begin to walk in that freedom and that grace and that blessing in a powerful way. And God's revelation infuses it into us and we're changed because we're in Christ. If you're outside of Christ, you have no hope. You have nothing to hang on to but the material things of this world. And the day that you die, you leave them all behind. You have no blessing at all. But in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. So when Paul writes this book, it's like a millionaire or a billionaire writing because he just knows how much he's got in his Christian bank deposit. He's so blessed of God. And he's trying to get us to get a hold of what God has given us, because he knows if we get hold of it, it will transform our lives. When we get to, to later on in this chapter, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. But I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know 
the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his imperably great power for us. Paul is saying, I'm praying that the clouds will blow away from your mind so that you can grasp how much you actually have, because I think he's saying you're not quite there, that people at Ephesus didn't quite realize the riches that they had in Christ, and he was pleading, God, please blow the winds of of their confusion or their lack of understanding away and give them wisdom and revelation so that they know. And because if they know, if you know what you've got, then you can use it. But if you don't know what you've got, you live in ignorance. And I think Paul's saying that there's an awakening that happens when revelation comes and we realize how much God has given us, the hope that we have, the riches that are ours as an inheritance and the power that is ours to utilize for the kingdom of God. And we get this sense that God has just been reckless. He uses words like lavished, poured out upon. I don't think there's words in the English language to actually describe how good God has been to us. And Paul's struggling to get that theme across and that motive because he just can't contain it. God has been so good to us. He's been fantastic. The question we've got to ask ourselves is why? Why did God do all that? Why would he go to such lengths to love us that way? And we learn from this chapter is that God is looking for our praise. Nothing more. To the praise of his glorious grace. The one thing God wants to see from us when he looks at our lives is gratitude, thankfulness, thanksgiving, adoration sort of abandoned to God, captivated by what God has done and our response is just this overwhelming sense of surrender and awe and wonder. We can't do anything else but because we're so impacted and arrested by what God did that the natural outflow is just awe. God, you're so good. You've done so much for me. The scripture says that we have how many blessings in the spiritual realm? A few? Every. Let me explain that to you. Most of you know we have a little adopted boy called Matthew. Okay? When we first brought him to Australia and we took him to Toys R Us or Kmart, I can't remember what it was, and I said, Matthew, you remember the toy stores in Fiji? He said, yeah. I said, this is a toy store in Australia. Have a look at this. Row after row of stuff. And they The look on his face was amazement. Like, wow, this is pretty good, hey? What Paul is, and my response to Matthew was, Matthew, you can choose one thing. Go along the rows, whether you want a truck or, you know, want a ball, whatever. You decide, I'll give you one. But what God's trying to say is, he's taken us to the toy store and he said, what do you want, Dave? It's all yours. It's all yours. Remember the original Willy Wonka movie, the good one with Gene Wilder in it? (laughs) And at the end, he goes up in the Wonkavator and they smash through the roof and he says to Charlie, Charlie, what did you think about the chocolate factory? And he said, oh, it was wonderful. He said, I'm giving it to you. When I look at that, I cry every time I watch that movie because I see 
God in that. It's like God saying, Mark, I'm giving it to you. Can I bring my grandpa and my family? Sure, bring everything. Who else could I entrust it to, an adult? No, an adult wouldn't look after the Oompa Loompas and they'd want to do things their own way. Really, isn't it the theology of God that he wants to bless us and he wants to entrust us with his kingdom and the keys to his kingdom? And he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before he made trees and mountains and things, he made us and said, I'm making all that for you because I love you and I chose you. That's how much he predestined us to be his children. You know, the sad thing is we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, but they're not earthly things. They come from the heavenly realm because the scriptures say that the earthly blessings can be robbed by robbers or they can rust or the, the moss can come and, and steal them and break them away. And the more that we're consumed by worldly things, the less our mind will be about heavenly things. But you know the beauty of every spiritual blessing? You can be on a bus and be living in the heavenly realms. You can be washing dishes and be living in the heavenly realms because it's an attitude of the mind. Set your mind on things above and not on things of this world. And the more that we live that way, it's not wrong to have material things, but when they rule our lives, they rob us from thinking eternal, spiritual things. every spiritual blessing in the spiritual realm and they're ours now to, dis to enjoy. And the thing is, the world is searching for blessings, right? People buy houses because they want security. People want money in the bank because it's security. They, they want to buy joy by doing things. And they're searching for the same things that we are. But ours come from heaven. They're safe there. No one can take them away. But the earthly things that people chase after, do you realize how sad it is that everything that everyone works for, the moment that they die, it's gone. They can't take it with them. But this, the heavenly blessings that we have now only get better because they will live for eternity in an imperfect state. We will live eternity holy and blameless before God, perfected in him, a perfect person. The riches of his inheritance for us are incredible. So if I'm living on earth and these blessings are heavenly, how do I get hold of them? Like I said, it's got to be God's revelation to understand that they're yours. They're yours now. And you can draw on them in any situation at any time. We have hope. Why? Because I have a superannuation package. Inflation could rob that in a day. The ANZ Bank could rob it off us, couldn't they, Brett? You see, it's not safe. But the hope we have is in Christ, and that will never change. We have joy that Linda was talking about this morning. Joy because my football team won? Or because I won Tats Lotto? Or no, it will fade. But the joy that we have is, is eternal because the joy that we have is the strength of, of the Lord in our lives. Oh, that was a good one. That's a joy of a mother. <laughs> Better out than in. You know, when, when we say 
to someone, oh, when were you saved, Ross? Ross will say, well, it was this time, you know, back in 1945, just after the war. Something like that. <laughs> not that old, eh, mate? Yeah, you're looking real good, mate. Yeah, the war did wonders for you. But, but when we ask God, when were we saved, he says before the foundation of the world. His eye has been on us from the very, very beginning. Despite all our faults, despite all our failings, God chose us and he paid an incredible price for us. This little bit of paper here is the adoption paper that Cheryl and I signed to make Matthew our son. Now, in the lead up to signing that document, you go through an incredible emotional time of wrestling with, am I going to take this kid on forever and ever? Amen. Not knowing what baggage he might have, not knowing what struggles he might have. If he becomes a paraplegic, am I still going to love him? All those things go through your mind when you, you wrestle with, will, will I pay the price? And by signing that piece of paper, Matthew became the heir of my inheritance. Now, sadly for him, that's not a great riches. <laughs> but the principle of it is everything I have is now his. And I think when you adopt someone, you actually love them more than when you give birth to them. Now, that might sound a bit silly, but the process you go through runs a lot deeper because you have to make a choice to love someone that was not your own and make them your own. And that's what God did. This here is the bill of costs from the lawyer to adopt Matthew, now payable and due. $562.50 Fiji it cost us to adopt Matthew. You know how much it cost God? to adopt you, a lot more than $562, Fiji. It cost him blood and it cost him his life. That's what he's trying to get us to understand. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves us. I want to tell you a story about my wedding night and Cheryl and I... <laughs> In the spa on our wedding night. It's a G-rated story. <laughs> We're going back some time now, 1988. Got it right. That's good because I always get it wrong. And Cheryl and I were very tired. We weren't Christians at this time. I'll preempt the story with that statement. Not that I'm going to tell you anything yet you can't hear. Um, but we'd had a few wines coming down from Mount Dandenong in the in the beautiful car that we had and, and I don't drink champagne so I was a bit tipsy and we were pretty, because wedding day is pretty tiring, you know, running around saying hello to everybody. And we, anyway, we got to our the Fern Tree Gully Hotel <laughs> and we stayed in their, whatever it was, their honeymoon suite and whatever and, and we weren't into spas or hadn't had spas much in our life and so that was the, you know, the highlight of the night just to sit in the spa and... <laughs> And uh, we'd been living together for a year anyway, so it wasn't, you know, like a consummation of our marriage type thing. And so we sat in the spa and the, the button for the spa was about here, okay, on the wall. And so we sat in the spa and they had these 
you know, shampooy things and stuff like that. And we didn't know anything about spas. So we turned, you know, filled it up, turned the bubbles on. And Cheryl thought it'd be a good idea to have bubbles in the bath. Was it your idea or my idea before I get myself into trouble? It was Cheryl's idea. So she poured the whole flipping thing in. <laughs> and so we were sitting there having a lovely time and, you know, sort of eyes closed, sipping on champagne. Next minute you could feel the bubbles sort of up, <laughs> up around here. And they just kept going and going and we lost the button. <laughs> We could not find the button, so we both sit standing there in the nude, walking around, <laughs> trying to find this button to turn it off. And the bubbles had come out over the bath. They'd covered the whole ensuite. They were going out onto the carpet, into the room. We spent the rest of our honeymoon night trying to get bubbles down the little hole in the floor. I was getting stressed. She was just giggling her head off. So our wedding night was one to remember. But when I think about that and my inability to contain those bubbles, it's a bit like God's love for us. You can't stop it. All you can do is soak in it and be amazed by it, how much God loves us. He's just an amazing God. You know, our sin was the one thing that could inhibit God's design to embrace us, and yet it was that shedding of blood. It's why we do communion every week, so that we don't forget what it costs Jesus for God's plan to be fulfilled, his obedience and his willingness to die for us. We should never forget. And I think what Paul's trying to say, that, that in the process of our maturity in Christ, the circuit is complete when not only do we say, thank you, God, for the, you know, look at the blessings I've got. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Well, I've got this blessing and I've got this blessing and I've got this blessing. But I think what Paul's saying is that the circuit's complete when we say, thank you, God, for the blessing, but blessed be to you. So it's not so much a focus on the blessings as it is the one who blessed us that the circuit is complete when we give it back to God. Because sometimes I think we get so wrapped up in what do we get out of this salvation instead of what does God get? And the only thing God wants is our praise for us to worship him. And it should be the one thing that, that when non-Christians look at us or the world looks at us, they can't comprehend why we're so passionately in love with God. It should be a mystery to them, but it's not a mystery to us because Christ revealed it to us, how much he loved us. And if we as a, as a group of people could have that revelation of how much God loves us, it would change our hearts and there wouldn't be fear of worship. There wouldn't be worry about what other people think. We would just be extravagantly in love with God, clapping, dancing, shouting, jumping for joy, uncontainable unable not to do anything else but be radically expressive to God because we know what he did. And I think we need a deeper revelation of that. For all of us, I don't think we should ever stop grasping more of what God has done and how he did it and why he did it and what it means to us. But then to turn it all around and say, God, bless you. Bless you, God. You're an awesome God. Extravagant, generous worship. What else could we bring? Let's pray.
Father, we give, uh, we give you our all this morning. Father, we come afresh this morning and we say to the praise of your glorious grace. It's because of what you did that we have what we have and we are who we are. We are in Christ. We are seated in the heavenly places. We have every spiritual blessing. And Lord, our, our tank is full. It's overflowing with what you have given us. Lord, this morning we want to exalt you because it's all about you. It's all about what you've lavished on us. And Lord, we want to lavish our praise back to you. Father, my prayer for us as a church, individually and corporately, is that, that we would be known for our love for you however that manifests, Lord, whether it be dancing or cheering or waving flags or on our knees crying, whatever way it flows from our hearts, Lord, I pray that when you look at us as pastors of a church, as leaders of a church, as whoever we are in whatever way, shape or form we fit in here, Lord, I pray that you would just see people whose hearts are so abandoned to you in praise and worship and love and adoration. Lord, help us capture some of that spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we know. Lord, when we come to look at that verse and we begin to pray, Lord, we're going to have a morning where we just pray over one another's life, that wisdom would come, that revelation would come, that the depths of the knowledge of your love and your grace and your mercy and your riches and your power would come to us like they never have before. Would you take us deeper into you? Lord, this morning we're going to give you this time. We're going to praise you. We're going to exalt your name. We're going to celebrate who you are, Lord God.